Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Run for the Song Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 12 of Drum for the Song podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. Today's guest is a very special guest. He's a drummer. He's a very good drummer. But drumming isn't his main job. He's actually one of the main DJs at Planet Rock Radio in the UK. So if you live in the UK and you like rock music, chances are you would have heard his voice many, many times before. I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times at festivals, but the reason I thought he'd be a great guest for this podcast is because he's recently announced that he's joined the band Black Spiders. So it's going to be really exciting to see what that band do when gigging is allowed again, and I can't wait to see him live. Overall, we had a great conversation. We talk about how he ended up joining the band Black Spiders, and ended up recording an album without even meeting the band, which is pretty crazy. But um, that's the crazy world we live in nowadays. We also talk about how he originally got into radio. We talk about his life as a drummer in his teenage years, and he ended up moving to LA for a few months to uh, try and make it out there. So that's a really inspiring story. We also talk about how our lives have changed during this crazy year of 2020 because of the coronavirus. And we also talk about some of the brands we use and why we use them. Um, We specifically talk about Vincent Sticks that we both use, which I highly, highly recommend to any drummers out there. And while we're here on this introduction, I'd just like to say that this is going to be my last episode of the year. I'm going to take a very short break, uh, enjoy Christmas and kind of get on with a few other things and allow people to catch up with the podcast if they've already just discovered it and concentrate on kind of promoting it a little bit because I've got quite a few good episodes as well, hopefully you agree with me, some episodes that people need to hear really and um, I thought people are going to be busy over Christmas, I'm going to be busy so i just like to take this opportunity to thank anyone that's been listening or regularly listening or sharing my posts. It's been really helpful and it's been a great journey actually and um, a big learning curve for me and a really enjoyable one. But I'll start back again early in 2021. I'll try and line up some great guests and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back at it. So I hope you're all staying safe and uh, let's just get to the conversation with Wyatt Wendell's. Run for the Song podcast. So hello guys. Today I'm very lucky. I've got Wyatt Wendells. He's a DJ on Planet Rock and he's also the drummer in Black Spiders. Recently joined, I know. But um, I reckon that's really exciting to hear about. How are you doing, Wyatt? All right. You know, all things been equal in this ever weirdening time. So... It is weird. I keep saying you, you try and find your your silver linings and try and find the positives. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I wouldn't join a band, which seems a weird way of doing it, but it's true. So you try and find your positives where you can in this weird time, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So 
I was obviously going to ask you about how you joined the bands. We might as well talk about that now. It was, yeah. they approached you or did, did you know they were kind of reforming well, or what? N- no, I, I didn't know anything. It was one of those, I remember they did a farewell tour in 2017 and I'd done an interview with them at the old Sonosphere back in the day and played a couple of the tracks. And that was it. I saw they'd done their, that's it, final tour back in what spring, summer of 2017. Didn't think any more of it. Oh, it's another band that's fallen by the wayside. So the pandemic starts. And then um, I started doing the the Symbols of Appreciation uh, at Planet Rock, which, for those that don't know, is quite literally where people, rather than just emailing dedication, so I'd like to mention and, and pay tribute to, can you give me a shout out? The idea was that they then gave me a bit of a song that I would drum out from my garage, which is, it's a garage. I like to call it my studio. It makes it sound sexy <laughs> because I was working from home. So I had access to it and it was only going to last a couple of days and it just seemed to get more and more popular. It'd go on the air and then the, the videos would go on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And it's still going like 150 episodes later. But Pete from the band, I know it was going to be two or three and it was just raw camera footage. And then it became a setup. I realized that through the electronic drum kit, I could, I had a, literally a home studio. I could plug it directly into the USB, which would go into the laptop, which I could get studio quality sound. I could put it on the air. Yeah. So it kept going. And then Pete from the band saw it and it was just, hello, how are you? We're looking to get the band back together. Are you doing anything at the moment? And it went from, yeah, I could record some demos from home to can you get in the studio next week to, do you want to do the whole album to, do you want to join the band? <laughs> and then it, it, literally four months later, here I am, I've recorded 18 tracks, single coming out album next year, and then tours and gigs when we can, I'm guessing we ain't looking at anything before the end of next year and, and 2022. And that's pretty much it condensed the condensed version. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so cool though. And um, so did the, was that how they learned that you played the drums was from the symbols of appreciation do you think literally it was yeah. that um the whole thing i i mean i've been in plenty of bands i've recorded before i've toured i have never in my life had a an inclusion and induction into a band in this way it's so surreal i know it's a product of the times uh, pete was a listener is a listener and they'd already decided they were getting back together they demoed a dozen or so songs and their original drummer essentially said he couldn't do it for various responsibility commitment reasons so they needed a drummer and it really was one of those cases where it's like well i wonder if he's available and the weird thing was they i got the demos so there's a drum machine on them and it was a case of can you record these literally in two weeks at the studio in doncaster because it by coincidence we're all yorkshire based it's a south yorkshire band and even Ah. though my accent betrays me i'm obviously not from yorkshire but i live there so it's a really local band and the studio is like 20 minutes from my house. So I said, okay, I can go down there. And then Pete was like, yeah, any chance you could maybe do a, a demo? Because as we realized, I'd never met them and I could have been absolutely rubbish. They didn't know what they were getting. So I literally got the track without the drums, just laid down a basic track because there was a click with it. And it was a case of, all right, yeah, sounds good. I'm thinking, I've never even met this band. I've met one of them, talked to them once. So I get to the studio and the producer who's done all their stuff. He's worked with Massive Wagons. He's done loads of stuff. And he was like a bit, not standoffish, but it was like, all right. It was a bit just slightly cool. And it was like, because he'd heard what happened. It was like, so I've got this guy coming to my studio who's never met them, (laughs) never played. And it was all done on a wing and a prayer and a leap of faith. 
And the weird thing was, I, was, I knew I was all right. I thought, I got this. This is fine. I know, yeah. I know these three tracks. I'll be absolutely fine. And then after we recorded the first two tracks, we had that conversation. It's like, you ever met these? No. You ever rehearsed? No. Ever had a conversation? I've talked to one of them out of four. And like, and he laughed. And I, and I was thinking about it. This is surreal. This is <laughs> not the way to, to join a band. So yeah, the whole album has been recorded without any rehearsals. It's all been, there's like three versions. I get a demo. I then take the drums off and I put my version and then we get to the studio and then literally while we're there, it's like, okay, maybe we'll change this bit and we'll change that bit. So there's like three versions, the demo version, my pre-recorded version, and then the version we record, which is maybe slightly different. I mean, who does it like that in any age, really? Yeah, that's, that's incredible, really. And um, so I, I was under the impression that maybe that's how it started, but they were in the studio with you. So they were never in the studio no. with you. Wow. They would come at, they, they come down at different times. I mean, one of them, the other guitarist lives on a boat in Spain at the moment. <laughs> so he moved there a couple of years ago. So he, he sends all the stems over uh, from Spain and they're added as we go along or, or after. So cool. we've had a couple of zoom conversations, the, the five of us. And then the other three at different times have come into the studio, but it, it really is. It's, it's almost an, an idyllic way of doing it. It's almost like a leap of faith everywhere. It's almost like here's a band, despite the fact we haven't got together in a normal way and rehearsed once, it's almost like you've got a band who's saying, we know what we're doing. We've got faith in everyone's parts. We've got a producer who knows his stuff and who can guide. And it's, it's a really weird zen. It really is. Brilliant. And it just, it just seems to work so far, having not rehearsed or done well. a gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I noticed you're putting out a single in a few days from the time of this recording. So it'll, by the time this goes out, it'll already be out. But um, yeah, I can't, can't wait to hear that. See, yeah, it's um, we we wanted to do a video for it, which is proving tricky. But we've done a lyric video, uh, which I've seen, which is which is pretty cool because lyric videos. You remember the early days of lyric videos? They were literally it was like text. It's like all oh, right, this is a bit naff. But now I've seen some videos which are cooler than official videos, and I've seen this. And let's just say it's a it's a play. It's a a literal take on flies. I mean, if you've got a phobia of flies, you're going to hate this video, but it's, it, <laughs> it's pretty cool. And um, yeah. And, 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 and we'll see where it takes us from, from November the 5th onwards. Yeah. I think it will be a good buzz about it. And um, I noticed you're, you've announced for hard rock hell. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think I should notice, I'm sure we're special guests to you at heretic fest in Sheffield. Oh, cool. Literally on your day. Oh, nice. I think that's been announced. I mean, I, I'm keeping a really open mind. It's hard. I mean, you'll know this yourself. I know, it's I know. hard to get excited because you think, will this happen? I know. And you're like, okay, I know it will, but it, it's a question of when. And yeah, Hard Rock Hell has been announced. And then there's plans for, I'm hoping, guessing a tour around Hard Rock, like a, a comeback tour, if you will. Yeah. It, it would make sense. But who knows? I who mean, knows? in my mind, I'm thinking 2022 onwards, but great. Anything next year is a bonus, even if it's November, December. Yeah, well, I've got my fingers crossed that we'll be all right in April because we've got a German tour, but I don't know. But I'm, I'm trying to yeah. be positive about it. Obviously, it's, look, I know, it's, it's hard, looking, but you, yeah, you got to try. I, I've always been a bit of a you know a realist, but when it comes to how sh crappy this year has been, yeah, and um, I just trying to be positive. So, so next year actually happens, and um, our festivals and shows actually go ahead, and the same for all the other bands that have announce things that are that they're hoping will go ahead but yeah i guess there'll be more chance at the end of the year like november like you said so fingers crossed yeah. we'll see you there that'll be awesome yeah yeah um let's talk about your your drumming history then you started from a young age i believe 
And then um, yeah. what I was quite shocked about is that you were you were touring LA, playing drums in yeah. a band when you were a teenager. That's mad. Yeah, that, that was um, it was weird and unexpected. When I started, I, I thought I started quite young, and now you find out people start at two, four, five. I was fourteen. It was January nineteen ninety, and there was a drum shop in North London near where I worked, and upstairs was the drum shop and downstairs they had studios where they gave lessons and i used to it was a bit of a commute for a kid i used to have to get two buses about six miles for an hour lesson and that was how i spent the the late winter of 1990 learning drums and then i, I did the school band you play the school assembly and that kind of thing and then one of my mum's friends because my mum was used to be a singer and had been in the industry for years so i kind of grew up in the industry it was one of those. She had a friend who had a friend who was in a band. They were going to go to LA and do this like West Coast tour. They had these showcases booked. They were looking to become rock stars and they needed a drummer. And my mum said, Well, I got, you know, why it's great. I was 16 at the time. I'd been playing. At that point, I'd been playing not even two years. It was early 1992 when this happened. So I'd not long turned 16. But it was an adult band. It wasn't like a kid band. They were like mid to late 20s. And I was quite literally a kid. So we rehearsed and they asked me to join. And of course, I'm thinking it was a bit surreal. I'm thinking, okay, well, what's this all about? Where's this going to go? And what it turned into was a program and a schedule. So we're rehearsing through the spring and early summer of 92. And the plan was we go to LA in June. We get up an apartment, literally, because you can get short lease apartments, get an apartment off on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm thinking, this sounds cool. Where, I don't know, seven or eight shows lined up doing uh there was a few that aren't there anymore the coconut teaser i remember was my first one the troubadour the whiskey a go-go there were a few others we had radio interviews set up so basically it was it was a, a kind of like a mini tour of sunset strip in west hollywood and mm-hmm. it was uh I, I look back i can't believe how naive i was in the sense that of course when you get old if you don't know you don't know but I mean, as a drummer, I didn't even know what drumstick holders were then. Of course, hmm. now you can either have the wraparound, the Tom ones, you can have the, the, the crocodile clip-on ones, and you can stick them on your hi-hats. I had no idea, because I would always just stop, pick one up if it was mid-rehearsal. And of course, I get to this first gig at the Coconut Teaser, and there's drumstick, and someone said, where's your drumstick holder? I'm like, what drumstick holder? And I remember I got a glass. I'm thinking, okay, I could do one. Hmm. And I was so naive, I didn't even think of the old, just stick it on the bass drum in front of you. So you can just pick yeah. it up, yeah, yeah. which a lot of drummers do if you've not got really low sitting toms. I didn't even think of that. So I got a, a pint glass, <laughs> literally a pint glass, and I stuck a drumstick in it. And then I realized, well, I'm going to have a problem because the vibration is going to knock it over. So I filled the pint glass of water, stuck <laughs> one drumstick tip down into this pint of water. And that was my my drumstick hold of my first gig. And I, out of all the memories, that is one of the, the first memories I have is my naivety. Oh, and the other one was we were we were supporting um, Freak of Nature, which was Mike Tramp's band after White Lion. Ah, cool. And again, my naivety, I took some cymbals. But for some reason, my 16-year-old mind just thought crashes rise. I, I don't know why. I didn't think it meant hi-hats. Of course it does, but I didn't think it did. And I didn't take hi-hats. And I just remember uh, Mike Tramp's drummer's kit was all ringed off as the headliner for the backline to go on. And I literally robbed the hi-hats from Freak and H's kit to use for me without asking it. And then oh my put them God. back afterwards. Did anyone say anything? I was, no, I got away with it. Cause I, I knew as naive and stupid as I was, my 16 year old mind knew that if he'd have said no, I'd have no hi-hats and I'd be, I couldn't do the whole gig on a floor time on a ride. Yeah. So yeah, I just, <laughs> I just liberally borrowed them and then just put them back very quickly afterwards. 
<laughs> so yeah, it was it was um it was a hell of an experience. It really was. I mean, we had a we had an apartment on Hollywood and Franklin, and it was exactly what it sounds like. It was one of those sort of apartment blocks. They do short term lets of a month, two months, and it was musicians. It was the pool and party time, and all this kind of. It was a bit of a cliche. We got an unfurnished apartment, so we had no furniture, just air beds. The kitchen had you know an oven and stuff. So we're living in an unfurnished apartment literally with just air beds and wow. we'd hang our clothes over because my mum had to come with me as a chaperone because I was only 16. You have to be ah. 21 to get in the clubs. So I had all that going on. And yeah, we, we brought shopping trolley home from Ralph's, which is the, you know, the American equivalent of Tesco's. And we used that for clothes horse. It was, it, you know, <laughs> it was, it was about as cliched as you could get, you know, radio interviews and stuff. Um, and and I, I honestly thought I was going to be a rock star. I really did. I thought this is it. I'd left school. I was rehearsing with this band when I was doing my GCSEs and I didn't even make any plans. I thought I'm leaving school. That's it. I'm going to Hollywood. I won't be coming back. Or if I'm come back, it'll be to, to pack up my stuff to go there. And I remember we did the whiskey, a go-go gig. And I remember again, then I bought brand new drumsticks for it. I think I was using, what was I using at the time? I think it might've been pro marks two B's. I used to use really thick ones. They were too big in the end. Wow. And I'd save the brand new ones. And, you know, they were, I think they were eight pound at the time, and that seemed a lot of money in 1992. Yeah. And I used the 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 the, the, uh, the whiskey go goes backline, and to this day, I've never seen or experienced a ride symbol this big, thick, and heavy. It must have been 24, 26 inches. It was so thick, <laughs> and the first song started on the ride. I hit the ride the second time, and it split the 2B clean in two. It was that thick and heavy. I must have caught it on the outer rim or something like that. It just And I, I'm looking at the stick thinking, that's a brand-new pair of sticks gone, and I'm only 16. <laughs> Eight pounds is like, that's a lot of paper around money. But, um, you know, a longer story, a bit shorter, it, it didn't work out. Me and the band, we were cursed in the sense that the guitarist in the band who's, who's now and has been this guy, for must be best part of 20 years is in t-rex other one he joined them after that he broke his wrist in a motorcycling accident about two weeks before we went to the states so he went but he couldn't play so when we got there we had to get this session guy and it was a local italian american guitarist who bowl account he was a great guitarist He, he knew the scene he'd been around and initially he refused to do the gigs because he didn't want his reputation taken hit if he was going to be in a gig with a 16 year old he thought the band was a gimmick and that I'd be rubbish and he would look stupid. And he, and he really thought it was just some throwaway thing. 16 year old from England can't play. And I remember, I just remember thinking, well, I'll, I'll show you, you know, and yeah. he actually told me this just before um, I went back to England and he said, I, I, I'm really sorry. I, I thought you'd be rubbish and I didn't want to play with you because of this. Hmm. And uh, I was wrong. And he goes, and I've got you tickets and VIP tickets for, the Metallica and Guns N' Roses show in LA. Oh, wow. But it was two days after I left, so I couldn't go. And ironically, ah. James Hetfield had an accident with that, the famous accident where he got burnt and it got cancelled anyway. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, there was that. There was all these other things. And in the midst of it, I ended up having a massive argument with the singer over money. Not money as in what you pay. It was the most ridiculous thing. She was this fiery Italian woman. Italian woman. And I remember she... Um, she asked me if I go, I was going to the shop. It sounds really trivial, but it just blew up into something massive. She asked me if I was going to the, the shop to pick up some other supermarkets. I said, yeah. And she gave me like, I think it was $20 and asked me to get, do you know, what? I can't even to this day remember what it was she wanted. So I got it. 
And I gave her the change. And she goes, well, where's the rest of it? I said, well, that's it. That's what it is. She goes, no, it's not. You must have spent the money on sweets. And I thought, oh, my. it just triggered me because she made some reference like I was some child who wanted yeah. sweets. Anyway, it blew up into a massive argument where she obviously didn't get how much stuff cost in dollars. Right. And the fact that she mentioned sweets and was implying that I'd taken the money, it just turned into a mess. So I quit the band there and then. And then uh, there were still two gigs to go after the whiskey gig. And I said I'd do it because the others in the band wanted the experience. But at that point, I knew that I was done. Hmm. and it kind of sank in that I was going to be flying back because my mum was staying in LA to see some friends. So I was literally flying home on my own. And it was one of the most depressing times of my life because I was flying home with my dream was over and I, I knew I'd have to go back to school. And that's exactly what I ended up having to do. All right. You have to do that. Oh man. So it was, so, yeah. it was quite short lived in the end, but it was, it was a good experience and a good learning process, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was great. I mean, a lot of people don't get to play the whiskey in their life to do no. it when you're 16, the troubadour. Yeah. I mean, it was even when you're sound checking, you can hear just sound checking your own drums before this is before in ears where you can actually hear everything. Yeah. And you can just hear it. It just sounded like thunder. I'm thinking this is where Motley Crue did the kickstart my heart video. And this is where the doors have played. You know, it's a who's and same with the troubadour. Yeah. You know, they are still the, the flagship Hollywood venue. So to be able to, to play them ever, but to be able to say you did it when you were 16. It's incredible. Yeah, so you know, it set me on a decent path for sure. Yeah, no, it's good to hear that story. I I had no idea, and I was wondering, kind of how it all started, and um, I went on your website. So it's good that you have a yeah. website, because uh, a lot of people don't bother these days, do they? they kinda... I know it's. I, I need to update it, absolutely, but they 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 don't really cost as much as people think, especially no. if you've got a friend doing it or you can do it, and they're they're another tool you know i know people yeah. use facebook pages and, and instagram or, or youtube but these should just be an addition to not don't have to be a replacement of so. yeah exactly yeah no i yeah. agree so um yeah I, I find this a bit strange that i'm interviewing you someone who's used to interviewing other people so this is a bit strange for me so <laughs> yeah um can you explain how you went from school then and whatever you did in between and got into DJing at some point, obviously. It was essentially failure that, that, that took me there. After after the American trip, I went to college, uh, studied performing arts. I went to a music school, private music school, which isn't as poncy as it sounds. It was, uh, it was almost like a spin-off of Thames Valley University, which is Reading, and it was right. music performance, but my specialist subject was drum this seems it seemed like fortunes at the time don't see that much now three grand for a year but you study full-time drums drum performance drum workshop you would study jazz you'd study modules you have performance workshops you study latin percussion it was drums 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 you had to practice you had practice it was a school for drums um and i did that and then you know the band i was in at the time had an independent record deal which did an album that went nowhere i mean I, I think what finished that was where there was some serious shadiness and skullduggery going on, where we paid a then journalist at Kerrang 200 pounds to be guaranteed a review. Right. This is the mid nineties, wow. which is, is shady at any time. And he slated us. I'm thinking I'd have paid you 250 to make sure we got a good review in that case. Yeah. yeah I think exactly. You've just been paid 200 quid to slate. If you're going to be bribed, at least be bribed properly. Yeah. And it, you know, the right was on the wall and it, and it just didn't work out. And, and so we're into, 
we get into the sort of mid to late 90s, around 1998, and I literally did not know what I was going to do in my life. I, I, you know, I'd finished college. I didn't bother university because I thought I was going to be a, a full-time musician. I'd done various bands, and I literally had the stage newspaper, and I was going through the classifieds, and it was, and I remember sitting in the bath with this paper and, uh, and thinking, what am I going to do now? Let's give this radio a try. It was as really cold and as calculated as that. Let's give that radio thing a try. And it was an advert for a radio school, and it was like a two-day course. So it wasn't a very full-time school. And part of the deal, Tutude worked at Radio 1, could send it round to various radio stations. You know, here's the new talent that's coming out in the sort of late 90s. And it, it put you in a shop window. Now, I didn't know anyone in radio. I had no contacts. No, no one could give me a leg up. There was nothing. At that point, I didn't even know there was a thing called a radio directory, which is a, quite literally like the yellow pages of radio, who the radio stations are, where they are, who they cater for, who you can contact. None of that ne never entered my psyche. You've got to bear in mind, even though the internet was around, it wasn't as useful as it is now. Yeah. You had Ask Jeeves. Google wasn't what it was. Search engines were nowhere near the monsters they are now. And it was a very slow grind. I mean, I, I went to that in the spring of 1998. And by the summer, I had a real nothing overnight weekend show, which didn't last very long. And it was it was it was a long there is no, there was no fast track process. It was a long send tapes out at that time. You wouldn't send MP3s out. It was literally C nineties hmm. in envelopes, the old way, similar to bands with demos, but it was a demo of my voice. And I'd be sending it to literally every radio station I could. And the rejection letters, not emails, hmm. letters that came back. It was, it was painful. Some of them, some of them were just templates. Some of them were polite. Some were brutal bordering on insulting telling me how rubbish I was and that kind of thing. And, and that was that. That slowly led me to be over two years. It'd be two years from when I first started. I was just doing every rubbish job in between, mostly agency work, driving, lorry yeah. driving, van driving. Yeah. I served my apprenticeship to the bottom of the ladder. I did not enter at the top, that's for sure. <laughs> that's amazing, though. Well... <laughs> And then I guess there was a journey from other radio stations to Planet Rock. Yeah, it, absolutely. I, I've said, you know, I've been there now over eight years and I've said everything before that was like I was a session musician just doing sessions. And now I've joined the band because when I started, there was no Planet Rock. There was no Kerrang Radio. There were no at that point. The only specialist rock radio station would have been Virgin. Right, which Richard Branson started, and they used to they used to do rock. They used to do sanitized version of what Planet Rock does now, which is play album tracks and bands. You know, I remember they played an Aerosmith album track from the Get a Grip album, thinking, "Whoa!" But over time, they become more and more commercialized, and it became George Michael and Texas. And I'm like, "Okay, this isn't really rock radio at all." Yeah. XFM started in 1999, which is the same year Planet Rock began. But Planet Rock was so small and underground for so long that I'd never heard of it. Kerrang didn't start until 2004 and then you really didn't get internet community radio stations for a few more years so at that point i knew the music i liked i just didn't know there'd be somewhere for me that'd be a home and i've been going in what is known as commercial radio and commercial radio is exactly what it sounds like it's commercial pop hmm. you know when i when i started you would get commercial radio did include some guitar music it would include stuff like kaiser chiefs yeah. Franz Ferdinand, that kind of thing. And you might get a bit of nickelback. You might get what is considered commercial standards, something a little bit edgier. 
I mean, I can remember this seemed edgy in 2001, a commercial radio station. You'd never get this now, but you'd have a commercial radio station be playing the Spice Girls, Blue, Emma Bunsen, and then you get stained outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As a, wow. You're thinking, can you imagine? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I, I remember when that came out and that it was on Yeah, yeah. And then over time, the radio station became more sort of diverse and they, they sort of split. Commercial radio meant pop and R&B. And there were more sort of guitar options. You'd have Indian guitar. So you'd have the Virgin became absolute. And then Planet Rock came to prominence. And then you had all the other rock stations which were popping up. They might not be as big or as sort of known, but there were just more and more. And you're talking like sort of 2005 onwards to, to where we are now. So, yeah, I mean, it was 2012 before I got into any kind of rock radio because I, I started at Real Excess before Planet Rock. And then I was covering there. And that might have led to something, but I, I'll never know because I then switched to Planet Rock full time and then Team Rock came along. There was other ones. So, yeah, from 2012 onwards, it's it, it's been literally rock nonstop. Brilliant. And that's where you belong, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 Well, I used to be on Heart looking like this. Really? You imagine. Yeah. I, I, I spent not the Heart in London because Heart had regions. So literally, I you know, for how long would it have been? A couple of years because it was a station I worked at for a year or so and they rebranded to Heart. So you got the red logo, you know, you're growing up, uh, you're, you're waking up and do it because I was doing a breakfast show then. And it was just George Michael, ABBA, take mm -hmm. that. It was that every day. But I'd look like this. Hmm. So the the irony of it was when I joined Heart, there were people who thought I was a fraud. They thought I didn't like rock because they knew I'd been at Heart. And they thought, OK, I was actually into that looking like this. And they got it completely the wrong way around. Yeah. I was into rock looking like this whilst, you know, trying to fit in and just stylistically be acceptable for a commercial radio audience but yeah so I, like, that's what i said I, i've done the rounds i've served my apprenticeship to the bottom and the middle of the ladder so it's not like i went straight into the top <laughs> no that's, that's for sure that's a great story man so thanks for sharing it and um i was going to ask if, if you've got any tips for someone who's just started podcasting like myself because obviously you do a lot of interviews with big stars uh, any yeah. any 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 little tips i, I would say just be yourself. I know it sounds really naff and cliche, but one of the hardest things to be when you're interviewing someone is yourself. Yeah. But the and it, it's almost like the utopia. Once you nail it, it opens up the doors because when you're talking with someone, and I know this from from proof, and I've interviewed some supposedly prickly characters, people who don't like interviews, people who just don't want to speak, and I've had some of the best interviews, and they've been really complimentary about it. And it's because I'm just talking to them. I'm talking to them about stuff that firstly, they won't always want to talk about. And then you find things they do want to talk about. But when you talk with them, not at them, it makes them relax and open up. So, for example, uh, I can use Rolling Stones examples. So I've interviewed Bill Wyman and I've interviewed Ronnie Wood on separate occasions. Now, obviously, they know before and they're always going to get asked about mick and keith and when you're going to be going out with them bill wyman knows he's always going to go, oh, why'd you leave the stones and almost their back is in a way almost up because they don't want to talk about it they've got to put on the act but if you find the things you know they are truly interested in and you talk about them first you can talk about the stuff about well why did you leave the stones or you know keith and mick what's that like and they will just they'll open up no problem so for example mm -hmm. bill wyman loves i knew bill wyman likes antiques and weirdly enough, he likes metal detecting. He likes getting his metal detector out and going out near his Suffolk home and looking for old treasure. You talk about that, 
no one's going to talk to him about that generally. And he's enthusiastic. And then it's a lot easier to then talk about the Stones, for example. Ronnie Wood loves his art and painting, and he loves the blues. So you're talking about his art, and you talk about slide guitar, and he's like an, an enthusiastic kid. And then when you know you need to inevitably talk about Keith, Mick, and when you're going out the Stones, it's not a problem. It's fine. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll offer the information as well. Same with John Bon Jovi. Everyone wants to talk about Richie Sambora. You're going to need to touch on it at some point. Once he knew that, you know, I had interest in his soup kitchen, which he does with his wife and feeding the homeless. And I could talk to him about albums before Slippery and Wet. So I wasn't just another living on a prayer fan. He knew it was someone who knew their stuff and had some genuine interest in, in him as a person, which means he ain't really got a problem talking about the stuff that he's fed up talking about with people who are just reading it off a cue card. So I would, yeah, you want to be yourself as much as possible. Yeah. Because they know when you're nervous and they expect it with some. And if they know you're nervous and it's stilted and awkward, they're just going to give you awkward, stilted answers just to get it out of the way. Either way so yeah. just be yourself as much as you can and talk with them. Just yeah. con literally converse. Think of it as a conversation, not a Q&A. Yeah, I try and and, that's what I try uh, and do. Yeah. I mean, for example, one of the best ones, Chris Jericho. I mean, your dad's friends with him. He's, you know, the, one of the best interviews I've ever done. And the shortest, when, I, when I've done like a long, it normally takes 40 minutes. He was practically interviewing me because he knew. He knew because he's done his own shows he's presented. Our, the conversation, what normally would have been 45 minutes, was done in 22 minutes. The shortest one-hour feature I've ever done was with Chris Jericho because he knew it so well. He knew I could talk. He knew how to talk. And he just did pretty much all the talk. He was almost asking himself the questions. <laughs> so when you get people like that, they work. When you get those kind of great interviewees, they work with you. It's easy. What? The worst ones are the ones you know nothing about, really. Like, I don't know, a painter who maybe once painted Jimi Hendrix wants to talk about his painting of Jimi Hendrix. You've never heard of him. Yeah. And it's awkward because they don't know you. you. You don't know anything about them. And it becomes, then it does become a bit stilted. So, yeah, ideally, where possible, just talk to them, conversational. And if it's someone you're not sure of, just go in there with a few bullet points. I don't work with notes. I never have. That's not to show off. Okay. Because my theory is if I know enough about them, I can do it from memory. It yeah. can't sound scripted because it's not. I'd rather take the chance of forgetting something and missing something and it be natural and organic than having an awkward, oh, hang on. Uh, oh, I need to, what was I going And you, you find yourself looking at notes. There's nothing wrong with it. I know. Yeah. I've got really, everyone uses it. Yeah, of course you have. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. Most people have, yeah. and that's fine. But for me, it was always, if I can do it without, one of my pet hates in the industry is things sounded scripted and like they're literally being read. Well, they yeah. can't sound scripted and read if there's nothing scripted and nothing to read. Yeah, that's So that, that's my personal trade-off. And yeah, I have forgotten little things that I wanted to ask. It was like, after, oh, 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 I meant to ask that. But the chance site was so good, and I've got more than enough, that it was a, a decent trade. So yeah, just be yourself. Brilliant. No, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. And uh, I will put that to good use. And I might try a, an interview one yeah. day or a conversation. I like to call them conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I I did change that a few episodes in. I'm like I'm I'm not going to call them interviews anymore. I'm just going to call them conversations. So yeah, in conversation with, in session with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A chat. Yeah. With. It's all good. Yeah, it? and and it is when you pitch it that way. You know, even when you and you can do that even when you're literally on a conveyor belt system where you're literally being ferried into a hotel to have a meeting with, I don't know, Dave Grohl, John Bon Jovi. It's usually the big ones that have got the, like the Langham in London. And even though you know it's a conveyor belt and they know it's a conveyor belt, you can still have a conversation, and get a good interview. You yeah, really cool. can. Yeah. So that, that rule will apply to any setting and any, any act. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant stuff. Oh, thanks. 
Um, obviously, you're still broadcasting now. How has that changed since the coronavirus pandemic? Can you do it from home or have you still got to travel? Or Yeah, that changed overnight. Everything changed. If, if coronavirus had happened two or three years ago, we'd have been completely knackered. Technology really quite literally saved us. And I think not just our radio group, but in the end, the radio industry, our, our systems. What happened was we could see it coming. And our engineering department decided they wanted to test working from home. The test became the real thing. It was, yeah. was going to be a test. We'll test it, then we'll go back to normal. And then if we need to do it in the future, we know we're set. We did the test and a day later, it's like, we're done. We're staying there. And I'm not that technically minded, but all I can tell you is we have gone from central London radio studios or central town, whatever. This applies to pretty much everyone. And using your Wi-Fi from your location, you just have a remote laptop, which accesses the servers of where the radio studio was. You have a, a professional microphone, which is that in the corner there. Yeah. You bring up the playout system that you would see if you were in the radio studio and it's now on your laptop in this spare room. And you just need to make sure that you've got the right sounding room. In this case, I've got carpets that have got massive shag piles. So it's natural acoustics. Some people are putting cardboard boxes up and loads yeah. of foam. So, and th and that's it. You're, you're live from home. That, that, that is it. It's as simple as that, which blows people's minds. Cause you couldn't do this a few years ago. No. You know, when I, I've got a friend who has a home studio that they, they built 15, 20 years ago. And it's a replica of like an old Capitol radio studio, I'm like the desk, everything. And she liked the idea of having this, it's a radio studio in my spare bedroom. I'm like, and I think about that, what it looked like now versus what I have. And you are literally talking to me on my home radio studio. This is it. This is it. That's, a, that's so cool. That's it. A laptop and a microphone and a Wi-Fi signal. That's it. Do you, like, obviously, the fact that the pandemic is here is horrible, but has it made your life easier then without commuting? Because, you, you, like you said, you live up north. Um, yeah. Do you, have, I would, you travel to London like every day? or? Yeah, well, I used to. In the, the first few years, it was nonstop every day. And then as I got older, it just, it, it became taxing. It's a lot, it's a six hour commute. So I would break it up. I'd stay in London maybe a day. And then technology caught up where now you can work from home. But before that, you could go to other studios right. in, in the group. So I could go to a studio in Leeds or Sheffield uh, and the commute would be minimal. And then coronavirus happened. And now all of us are literally at home. So yeah, I've got more hours than the day. And my expenses are through the floor. It's funny because you can never get the balance right. I've gone from commuting too much to wanting a rest and now staying at home so much. It's like, ah, oh, wouldn't mind a couple of days in London each month. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know what you like, mean. Yeah. Now it's, we can't be pleased. But yeah, in that sense. And it's the same for everyone. People are realizing, wow, I can, I've seen my house. You can, you know, you, you become a bit more productive. So, for example, now I can do interviews from home. We don't meet in person anymore as such. The trade is, and it's not a bad trade, people like Ozzy Osbourne, Rob Halford, Brian Johnson, these people that live in the States can now do interviews from home that they couldn't or wouldn't do before. Yeah. And they can, I can do them from here just in the evening. So when I'd normally be commuting or just getting home, it's no bother to me, eight o'clock at night, oh, quite literally, here's half an hour Rob Halford talking about his new book or Ozzy Osbourne talking about the Prince's Trust. You just couldn't do that before or wouldn't. Yeah. So it's brought opportunities. I mean, we, we all know that the downside of, of, of what this brings, but there's, as I've been saying, there is positives in every scenario for everyone. Yeah. And you can find your silver line. The fact I can work from home, I see the family more, I've joined a band, 
I my expenses are down. My car isn't getting hammered on the mileage. It's it's bad, but it's not all bad. Is what is what I'm sort of say to people. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Like just in my household, it's just me and my wife, and she's working from home and has changed her life massively in a positive way. Her working life, anyway. Um, yeah. She's a lot. She's a lot happier, which means I'm happier. And, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know the knock-on effect. And um, yeah, 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 saving money. We're not. Effect. We're not. Yeah, we're not. You know, spending less on the transport and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. it's worked out well for us. And um, yeah. So one thing I was going to ask, you don't, you don't have to answer it. I just thought it was a cheeky question. The amount of songs you've played and been forced to listen to on the radio. Are there any songs you're sick of hearing? Oh yeah. Yeah, I people have this. I will answer. People have this idea that you only play what you like, and it, it's an old view that goes back decades. It's not a new view. My answer is the same as it's always been. Just because I don't like it, I know there's a market for it. So I'm not a Jethro Tull fan. Yeah, never liked them. I, you know, I mean, we could say now you could think of a band you don't like there's also this theory that for every band you don't like you can always find one or two songs that you can go yeah that's all right or you might even like it a lot like roxy music i'm not a big fan of but i think avalon's a great song for example i can't even give you that with jethro toll i honestly can't <laughs> I, I can't think of one jethro toll song that goes yeah yeah and i can give you i'm not a big thin lizzie fan killer on the loose is a great song thunder and lightning great song um dire straits not a big fan absolutely love telegraph road yeah. um i like the man's too strong and you can do it with bands you don't like but jethro toll so aqualung oh i play that <laughs> locomotive breath no thin lizzy whiskey in a jar is a no for me oh. um, and i know a lot of these that i'll say people are gonna go what yeah yeah um, no it's interesting and there are some Pink Floyd songs which, and I've had literally had arguments with people over this, and and people get offended. There are some Pink Floyd songs which are not for radio, and people go, "How can you say that? It's it's great in the film." I'm like, "It'll be great in the film." Uh, what is it? On the run, the sound of, and it's like, how's that? There's nothing you can hum to. You can't sing to it. You know, it's all right. Breathe is all right, but when you put on the run with it, so breathe on the run, walk into the machine. No, where it sounds like there's a photocopier going at the end for like a minute. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a million times more songs that I do like, but there's there's quite a few songs which I'll n happily never hear again. Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yeah. Tough I like Free Bird. I, I quite like that. But yeah, there, there's a lot of songs that I'll happily never hear again. <laughs> and just explain a little bit. Obviously, you have like playlists yeah that you have to choose from is that kind of yeah. correct and is there any flexibility on can you choose there is, anything there is there's a lot more flexibility than people for, for planet rock for example there's a lot more flexibility than what i call commercial playlists where they are so rigid the so commercial playlists generally have what's called at the end of an hour a droppable song where it means if you are pushed for time you can drop a song but it has to be this one and only this one. Planet Rock has playlists as in an A-list and a B-list, as you and your band have been on many times. So an A-list means they're new releases that will be played a couple of times a day. Could be two or three times a day. The B-list is the new releases that are played once a day, at least. Yeah. And the, the new, new rock playlist is my new music show playlist, which means they'll be played every Monday evening. 
So in using the daytime schedules, the A list and the B list, you get one from each of them lists played in the hour. So you get an A and a B list generally. And then around it is what's called uh, the recurrent rotational songs from this huge, and it is a huge library. And I mean, and people say you play the same songs. What people don't realize, you will never hear Sweet Home Alabama more than once a week. I know that for a fact. Wow. So even though they're classics, you won't hear them every day. You'll hear Leonard Skinner every day, but there'll be different songs at different times. But the way it's scheduled, you are very unlikely to hear a classic more than once a week. And I can also guarantee, like I'm going to use a Led Zeppelin example, you won't hear rock and roll more than once every 72 hours in any daytime show. So for example, using mine as an example, if I play Kashmir on a Monday, I wouldn't be playing it on a Friday. The next time I would play Kashmir would be at least a week later. Yeah. And it might not, it might get played, but it would be in a different daytime part. And then because the ad lengths change and because rock songs fluctuate so much in length, anything from two minutes to 22 minutes, <laughs> unlike commercial radio where they're all between three and four minutes, our hours can be long. And we know as presenters, we have that kind of discretion where we can say, okay, Freebird is too long. It's too long. I need to either change it to a shorter Leonard Skinner song or I need to completely change the song. But the categories are 70s and 60s, 80s, 90s, and New Millennium. So you ah. essentially you open up the filing cabinet, which is all computerized. And if you're changing a song from the 70s, you'll find you'll only change it for a band or a song from the 70s. And in, in all honesty, we all have to do that at least once, maybe two or three times an hour, depending on what's going on. So that there is a there is a real element of sort of flexibility. It's not a case of a head of music goes, just do what you like when you like, change everything you see fit. But we all know and accept what we need to do. And we, there's an element of trust. We know our stuff. And it's not, people might joke, well, oh, oh he loves Motley Crue, so I'm going to play Motley Crue. It doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. It's not okay. Oh, so and so loves Thin Lizzy or so and so loves Rush. It's going to be them. It's not. It will be, you know, if you can get one in and you haven't, you know, you you never play the same artist more than once in the show. And yeah. if I'm not playing Motley Crue and I need a three and a half minute '80s song and the Wild Side's available, I can put it in, or I might just stick a Motorhead one in, for example. Yeah. There's that discretion. So there is a format, there is a playlist, but it is subject to change on any hour based on time constraints or anything that's being done on that day so there is a, an element of flexibility within the framework of what we do that's amazing thanks for explaining and because i wasn't really sure how it worked so it's nice to kind of get the detail because yeah. i listen to it a that, lot and, um... yeah but it's slightly different with the specialist shows who it's completely like the new rock show i program and produce that it's yeah. all me joe Ellett produces his own music those kind of ones but they're the specialist shows but the daytime shows so you're talking six till six six and six p.m monday to friday they're the 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 regular daytime shows right so that's where that format that i've just explained applies to and everything else the rules are slightly different but they're specialist shows programmed by specialist people who know the music yeah and so for the new rock show which i do i'm going to program nothing but the new releases so where specialist shows are different that is nearly 100 percent done on the presenter their discretion is their it's their baby they build it they produce it they present it from start to finish that's brilliant. I was going to ask, actually, have there been any particular artists or bands that you've discovered that you really love from your new rock show? Over the years, there's there's been a lot. Um, the new rock show's kind of evolved. It used to be, until about two, maybe three, time goes so quick, it's probably three years ago, it was a new music show. 
it, it is a music new it's yeah. always been a new music show but it was new music for everything so up until about three years ago it included heritage artists okay. so the big band so i play new sax and new judas priest new alice and change then it changed to like grassroots and unsigned before it changed i mean i was the first to play the cadillac three back in 2013 i remember they had a big press release they've never they've never played in the uk never been featured same with blackberry smoke um they'd been around a while in the u.s like they've been around about nine years in the u.s and the uk never touched them wow um i'm trying to think uh other new uh greta van fleet first one to play them i remember that that was like august of the start was like the summer 2017 like a month well, they did their showcase. I think it was at the Boston rooms in London. Those damn crows. Remember Blink of an Eye was their first single, first to play that. Yes. Uh, Stone Broken. It's another one. One of the first to play that. I think it was the first. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. Those damn crows. Massive Wagons. Remember Ratio. Yeah. Uh, that hadn't been playlisted. Your band as well. I think that that first week's on the New Rock Show. I can't oh. remember what the debut single was. But oh. that was definitely on the New Rock show. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So there's I, been I, a lot. I can't remember. <laughs> no, Ringleader, I maybe. I, can't remember. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it might be Ringleader, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was Toesland as well. And then of the newer bands, there was things like Eden Thorn, Hollow Star. There's been a lot. I mean, obviously, oh. it's weird looking at some of the old playlists because some of them bands you've never heard of again. But I, I kept every, I've kept every playlist since 2012. So when I started doing it and I've oh, still wow. got them in a drawer down here. <laughs> Sometimes you look at them, you think, wow, whatever happened to, I don't know, pick a band. I'm thinking, wonder what happened to them. That, you know, Beware a dog, trigger finger. I'm just thinking there's some random names of bands that just didn't do much. And then there's some that are still going scam. Yeah. There's one still see them sort of knocking around. Yeah. You think it's good. They're still around. Will they, will bands that like ever kick on, uh, Von Herson brothers, you know, remember playing them seven years ago, still nice. around. You thinking, will they make the leap? So yeah, there's there's been quite a few good ones, but you know, seeing the likes of those damn crows, massive wagons, so yeah, they've got an upward trajectory. You know, them on the new rock over the years. Yeah, yeah the Cadillac Three are a big band now. Yeah, Blackberry Smoke are big, doing Apollos and stuff. But uh, and Greta Van Fleet, no one had played them. And if, if we're in the normal world, I still reckon they'll be an arena band soon. I can see them doing a Wembley Arena or headlining the second stage at Download in the next couple of years or something like that. Yeah, I or think special guests on the main one. Yeah, I think you're right there. But yeah, I think getting like the eventual playlisting certainly helps build the UK audience. I think as soon as we started getting playlisted, we noticed that it wasn't just like Motorhead fans coming to our shows, that they were, you know, it did boost us up massively. So obviously that's how the other bands build their audience. So I think in the yeah. UK, especially Planet Rock is a big thing in, in our genre. For yeah, sure. it's funny because I was talking to your dad, didn't interview your dad literally this week. And we're talking about that very thing about how. Oh, wow. For, well for you but more for him because of the motorhead connection is that transition the emotional connection yeah from being emotive and of course the emotional connection of lemmy passing away and it's like well here i am with a family and he's that moment he's got to sort of cross over it's it goes from being a motive spin-off band to being a band in its own right and he was yeah. saying about how initially at first you, you know it, it was tough especially that first few months and now it's like we are who we are mm. and it's great to be able to play some motorhead stuff and remember and, and tip our hat or your hat to, to what we did, but then to be able to do our own stuff yeah. in our own right. And I think it's, it, 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 and it's great. It, it's established because I've seen live a few times and it was, it was better than I thought. I knew it'd be good, but I'm thinking, 
why this this isn't cabaret this isn't a covers band just doing another version of ace of spades this has got energy and life and then there's you know ringleader and all the you know all the other stuff as well and i think it was it's it's great and it's the you've got the balance right between like a an intentional stroke unintentional tribute to who your dad was and what he did versus here's the family band and, and what we are now so yeah so you've crossed over well thank you isn't it good to hear from yourself as well well yeah. respected so uh thank you and um well yeah one thing i was going to ask some of your listeners will know obviously but you're also yeah. an ultra cyclist and you've raised a hell of a lot of money for charity so for, yeah. for my listeners who might not be familiar with you would you mind telling us what you've done over the years uh well ultra cyclist is like an ultra runner i i ride a bike for an obscene amount of time and when i say amount of time talking minutes i'm talking not even hours some days at a time consecutively and it began with uh, a london to paris group ride in 2007 for it's help for heroes i did back then and that was done in three days and that, that's a, a group arranged ride they're, they're quite common like london to brighton london to paris you get ones that are arranged in a day and some that are done over two or three days and this is 2007. I went back and did it in 2008. And I thought, well, what about if I want to do a ride on my terms? What if I don't want to just do 60 miles and then go to a hotel afterwards and hang out with 30, 40 other people? What if I want to just go a bit quicker or a bit longer in my case? I'm not that fast. but And that turned into a, a monster, which is ironic because I don't have a lot of time. So 10-mile time trials, which take 20 minutes, 25 minutes would have been more my thing. But that turned into these monster events where I'd raise money for various charities from 2007 to 2014. I, I was, it was almost like a gun for hire. I was doing it for various charities, all worthy charities. And then I started honing in on, on mental health charities. And in 2015, I thought about doing an overnight bike ride from, from Planet Rock Central London Studios to, to Rockstop, which is Porthcawl. So you're talking the south coast of Wales. It's about 180 miles you can go quicker but you're talking through the villages going through wiltshire and all that and i did that and raised let me get this right what did i do i think i raised yeah it was forty thousand pounds and the target was five wow and then the next year i thought why don't we take this to another level why don't we take it on the road for a week and visit venues and landmarks associated with the rock world so wembley arena because i started in london it was a lot of venues um I went to Leeds University and went to the Blue Plaque for where the Who did live at Leeds, Nottingham Rock City, um, various Apollos, the Cavern Club in Liverpool. And that was done. So, you know, I do anything from eight to 12 or 13 hours a day riding, go to these venues, meet people. I'd have these tracking devices on me so people could see where I was in real time. People could come and ride with me. And the target then was £20,000. And people said, it's too much. You're not going to raise that. Um, no, sorry. The target was £40,000 this time because I'd raised forty before. And they were like, yeah. you're never going to do that again. It's just not going to happen. And we raised £72,000 for, you know, uh, at that point it was mined. And then there was a gap. And then I decided to run the London Marathon to just change tact. And then I always knew I'd come back. And then last year, I decided to do two weeks and 2,000 miles using the same format as 2016, where I visit venues, landmarks, like went to Kiri Muir, which is where the Bond, Bond Fest is, where Bond yeah. Scott's Memorial is. Went We've up done there. that one. Went, 
Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing else there apart from that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, went to the Glasgow Apollo. You know, went to the Black Sabbath Bridge in Birmingham and oh, wow. various venues all over the from the, the the south to the north, and that raised just short of one hundred and ten thousand pounds, and uh, that was for Mind. And Amazing. It just became and and the, the funny thing is I don't even like cycling. I did. I used to like cycling. I got into it, and then it became a job. So I haven't cycled since. And I know I'll probably do something again one year. Yeah. I probably won't cycle until about three months before when I train for it. And then I'll go and do it. And while I'm on the road, it's 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 a mission. It's a it's a task. It's not much fun. Yeah. It, it's nice to see these places. The countryside's nice, but minus eight in the Highlands of Scotland in November ain't much fun for anyone. No. So yeah, that 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 was the, the basis of it. And that's the reason I did it. And but no, for people who think I I cycle all the time and love it, nope, I can't stand it. I right. don't even ride for fun during the summer. It was a job to do, and I've been doing it on and off for a few years. And when I'm not doing anything, I don't ride. So I might come back in 2023 or 2024 or something, but I'll do nothing before then. Amazing. I was, yeah. I was, I was wondering, did you, do you have to keep up the fist, fitness in between? So you don't bother? Do you do anything? Any no. kind of exercise or gym or? I like well walking now because there's not much else I can do. But yeah. I'm one of these people. There are some people who stay in shape. I get in shape. You get in shape you know, for I'm like one of, I'm like one of those boxers that trains for a fight, and I, I don't, I'm teetotal, so it's not like I let myself go and just drink and drink and get fat. I put on weight, sure, yeah, uh, but I'm not a blob. But I staying in shape is too much effort for my liking. Getting in shape, that target, that that devotion, if you like, to I've got two or three months to really hone in. I've got to watch what I eat. I've got to change what I eat to a degree. I've got to cut down on certain things, and I've got to do this kind of level of training two, three, four times a week. That's what sort of motivates me. I could never in a million years motivate myself to do even half of that on an ongoing basis. It would just depress me. And I know there are gym freaks out there and I love all that and good luck to them. It's just, it's just not for me. I no, get in shape. I don't stay in shape. No, I, I, I can understand. I've over the years I've dabbled in it that since coronavirus, the only thing I've really been doing is running mm. and then, um, maybe twice a week, three times a week, if I can, well, if it's not raining, like it has been all week. And, um, but years and years ago, yeah, I used to go to the gym and I, and I was just like, I, I just thought it was a chore. Like sometimes I'd like zoning out with some music on, but it just felt like a chore. And, and then I kind of, I kind of stopped doing that thinking I, I'd rather do stuff from home, from, from my own house, just to kind of keep my sanity a little bit more. Because I, I put on weight easily and yeah. it's one thing I feel like I, I kind of have to do something. Otherwise it kind of gets out of control, but you know, I've done, I've done quite well, but yeah, I've never done anything long distance, no, n never done a half marathon or anything like that. I just don't think I could <laughs> get to that stage. But what I was going to say, apart from I play drums, we do like 90 minute sets, which I think that's why I have a, a fairly decent cardio fitness. Do you yeah. think any of your drumming helps with the kind of cycling or vice versa? I think, yeah, I, I think it does because there is gig fitness, tour fitness. It's a thing. It's, yeah. it, it definitely is, especially for a drummer. And, you know, for me, I haven't played live for a, a couple of years now, but it, it's high energy. And because I'm using all body parts and I want to, you know, this for me personally, there's nothing worse than watching a drummer who looks like he's sitting at a work desk going oh. through a PDF file. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you know, there's certain genres I've never met a, yeah, yeah exactly I, that. And they're like, and the facial expression. And that's why Neil Peart was a tough watch for me. Brilliant, brilliant drummer. 
his face, he looked just like, if you just look at Neil Peart from the neck up, he looks like he could be studying PDF files. He just looked emotionless. And that's not taken away from his technical brilliance. Yeah, but, you know, of course. but then you watch the Tommy Lee or a Chad Smith, you know, Dave Grohl, the, the energy. And yeah. It's not just about how many notes you're playing or what you're playing. I mean, I'm two footed, so I'm, I'm busy uh, at any given time. And, and that kind of stuff, because you're always trying to be coordinated. So there's constant movement and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, and that takes a level of level of fitness and the equilibrium. Because if you're throwing your hair around, you get. I'm at an age now. I get dizzy. I'm like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. Yeah, I, 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 I've always been like that. I've always thought, right, I've got to. No matter what I'm playing, I've got to make it look like I'm enjoying myself. And yeah, you get a sore neck from it, and your hair gets in your face and everything. But like, I think it's much more enjoyable for someone who's watching you play. Yeah. If, if you, know, you look like you're enjoying yourself, it's quite simple, yeah. really. There's a massive difference between playing songs and performing songs. Yes. And I, I want to do both, you know. It, it's if, if you just want to play the music, you can stick, a, stick an album on, you know. Yeah. It's um, like I was saying, if, if, if I'm doing, especially with you know, the stuff I'm recording with Black Spiders, I'm thinking, I take this out on the road. There's some serious stuff going on. I'm going to have to concentrate. I'm thinking... Yeah, I've got to concentrate, but I want to perform it. I don't just want that that flat face. Yeah. You know, and um, and then I'll deal with what I call the two the two footed snobs. And it's funny because drummers have you, you don't play double kick, do you? Do you play I, I do, play? yeah. There's a yeah, um yeah. yeah, um not it's like a few songs that require it and for the odd yeah, fill, I guess. Have, yeah, yeah. You've got double pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're a two footed drummer. I don't know if you've experienced this and it, it needs explaining. Okay. Two-footed snobbery is a real thing with drummers, and it's misguided and often wrong. So, for example, a one-footed drummer, there are some that think, oh, two-footed players, oh, yeah, you're just, you know, they look, they almost look down on them. It's like, well, why would you need two feet to, to do what you can do with one? And there's a misconception. One, Two-footed snobs that only play a one-pedal think that the people who play with two pedals are compensating for laziness so you know take the example i've seen and i know what they mean i have seen someone do a cover of aerosmith's walk this way on two feet that dun, 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 and they're going oh, yeah. dun, 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 i know what you dun, mean dun. yeah that is lazy that's a one-footed thing now the two-footed snobs thinks that thinks that all two-footed drummers are basically lazy and and can't do john bonham stuff without using two pedals no and i'm like no that's not true it might be true in some cases, but for me and for yeah. most two-footed players, it's you physically cannot do the stuff that I want to do with one foot. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be machine gunning no. at 250 beats a minute. It just means you can't do two-footed triplets with one foot. Duh, duh, duh. You can't the two on one foot and then the no. one and then a snare. It just can't be done at 140 beats a minute. So, But the two-footed snob doesn't want to hear that. They just think, oh, two-footed players are lazy. They can't do it one foot because they're not good enough. It's like, no. Tell that to Mike Portnoy. You think Mike, Mike Portnoy <laughs> or Mike Mangini can, can do all these things, these 30-second note fills on one foot? It just cannot be done because, no. you know, and I, I always make the reference, if you're a footballer, you want to be out, you want to be good with your left and your right foot yeah. and you want them to work together. So there you go. That's why I want to be a two-footed player who's yeah. competent. So. I yeah, I've got time for the two-footed snobs. No, I, I know what you mean, Ashley. And um, I've come across it a few times. Where no one's ever really said anything to me. But yeah, they're like, like you said, there are probably things I, I cheat. I there's a few songs where I will use the left pedal, just so I know it'll be tighter. Even though I could yeah. probably do it with just my right foot, 
I'd ra- I'd rather be accurate and have all the definition. power and the definition yeah. that I need. So I I may have recorded it on one foot, but for live purposes to make sure I don't mess it up or just to make sure it is solid, I, I'll I'll use the second foot. But then a lot of our songs are kind of based around that kind of you know motorhead overkill. You can't do that with one yeah. foot. No one can exactly. do that with one foot. So, so that's why I have two yeah, pedals. It's, it's <laughs> and then and exactly, then but... yeah. And I, I've yeah, the also used. doesn't want to hear that. Nah, I know, but they can bugger off. And sometimes I like having the backup option, even if I'm playing with another band or a covers band or something at home. I don't. I'm not doing any of that stuff. If my right beater decides to come loose or fly out, I've got the I've yeah. got the, the the other pedal as a backup. So I, I've yeah I've had to resort to that a few times over the years. So I, I'll always have the second pedal there, regardless. What gig I'm it's doing. a comfort thing yeah and the, and the other comparison i make is like when you have a car you're on the motorway and you've got that foot plate that you can rest your foot on when yeah. you don't need the clutch there yeah. you go that, that's what because i'm left footed so that's what my right foot just rests on oh yeah yeah and you can you know there might be an energetic song where you can stick a few in at the end you know it's just it's yeah. an option yeah. it's not replacing anything because i'm lazy or incompetent it nah. just gives you more options just like a two-footed football it gives you more options yeah exactly no glad glad to hear that you say that anyway so um with regards to the drumming, obviously you haven't really played many shows for a few years. Do you do, you do any like warm-ups or stretches or anything particular that you, you kind of have to do that you it's would recommend? You say that. I never I never used to. Now I've realized I have to. Mm. My hands, like, they get really tight there in, in that bit. And yeah, then, yeah. And, yeah. Really, yeah. And so I know I will have to start warming up. And it's only in the last couple of months that for the first time in nearly 30 years I've started – practicing and taking lessons on on two-footed playing and learning new things and trying to you know one of the things from lockdown is i I, i've literally taken lessons and things from all over the world different players and some online some in person and i think prior to lockdown i would look at certain drummers and go man i don't know how they do that it's just ridiculous never going to happen now i'm thinking no i'm going to make that happen i'm going to i'm going to go for it so now, using the examples, I look at Glenn Sobel with Alice Cooper's, for example, the stuff he does with Alice, the drum solo he does over Barbara O'Reilly and the Hollywood Vampires. I think there's no way that can be done. And now I'm like halfway to doing it. Oh, wow. I'm thinking, okay, it can be done. And I look at Jay Weinberg of uh, Slipknot, and I used to go, nah, man. Now I'm thinking 300 beats a minute. I'm going to chase it down. Why not? Why not? Awesome. Well, instead of going, that can't be done. Why not make it happen? So I thought, okay, for the first time in, what, 29 years, I'll start having two-footed lessons. But what I realized was you can't just walk in onto a kit and start drilling drilling out 30-second notes. You you have to warm up. And even if they're warm-ups, I'll just literally with a metronome, just going and do that for four or five minutes. You warmed up. So yeah, when I think when I finally get back out on the road again, I will start. I'll have I'll actually have a practice pad. Yeah. Probably have to try and get some practice beaters because I never used to, but you know, I won't get away with it now. No way. And I, I'd recommend it. I think maybe ten years or so, I used to get away with playing shows without really kind of warming up. Um, well, I, stretching, I think, is the very most important thing. Yeah. Especially your hands, shoulders, your neck. Especially if you're going to yeah. rock out like me, you can. If you if you don't stretch those neck muscles, the next morning you're going to be sore, man. But um, yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. And um, what what gear are you using at the moment for your acoustic setup? Uh, the acoustic setup, DW. Nice. I. Funny enough, I bought um, – it was a flamboyant purchase at the time. I wasn't in a band, and I just had a feeling I might use it and need it one day. I bought a translucent kit that lights up. I don't know if you've seen it. 
No, I don't think I have. It's a it's a real thing, and it's. I thought it'd be like a Fisher Price Argos Kids Kit job. No, this is a full on DW Bad Boys. You can find it on YouTube the yeah. whole thing. So it's a six piece. So you're talking snare, bass drum, two rack, two floor toms. They're all so when they're not lit up, they all look like that John Bonham translucent, but they're all rigged, and it comes with a mixer. So you can either give it to a sound, the sound and lighting guy or you can do it remotely yourself. You can have them all change color at any time. You can have them set to a color or you can have a phase or you can have a strobe. So six different lights, pretty much the colors of the rainbow. I mean, it's hmm. pure flamboyancy. I should be in T-Rex, a T-Rex tribute band. Or something <laughs> band. I have a feeling I will probably mostly use them off because they might get a bit distracting or just have them set to one color the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, DW got the Roland electronic kit, and literally last week I've just um, ordered a handmade brass snare. Ooh. Uh, a fella in um, Sheffield hand makes them. Like these are not cheap. These are he does. He makes a silver one, What's pure the... silver. That's five grand. What? And it's massive. It's like the old um, Tama Bell brass snare. This huge, like fifteen inch snare, seven inches deep, really heavy. Wow. It does aluminium ones, does titanium ones. So it's like a two and a half grand snare that I'm going to have made. So it's a, I think it's a, yeah, VK is the company, but he does, oh, he yeah. does make kits, but mostly snares. Have you heard of those? So, yeah. yeah so I'll have a DW translucent spare snare and it's giant VK, <laughs> two and a half grand. Thing. Jesus so Christ. yeah. Wow. And then what about sim- symbols? And Zildjian. It used to be Sabian. Wow. And then I, I just found myself getting more and more. In, if we're honest, if we're yeah. not endorsed, and if we're completely honest as drummers, we yeah. could find a symbol from every company that we like and use yeah. them any, any set setup. I would find out I like some Sabians and some Zildjians. And I just sort of found more and more Zildjians. I thought, you know what, let's get, keep the symmetry. So I, I use a lot of Zildjian customs. I like their custom crashes, uh, medium ones, the, the bigger ones, sort of more 18-inch ones. Because yeah. I do a lot of riding on the crash. Yeah, me too. For yeah. me personally, there is a crash and there is a ride. A crash ride for me is not a thing. They should be separate animals. Uh, so, you know, I ride a crash, medium crash. I've got some thinner ones as well, sort of 16 inches. I like a splash. Uh, I've got a Zildjian China trash because I love that China sound. It's just light and it's got a distinctive sound. I'm struggling a bit, if I'm honest, with the rides because the I use a K medium ride. And medium okay. to me, because bearing in mind the story I told about that huge ride in uh, LA at the Whiskey Go-Go, that was a Zildjian. And I think it was a rock one. I don't, I don't know what it was. But I, I thought of that when I got a, a medium. I thought, yeah, I don't want anything too heavy. A rock might split my sticks. But the K mediums, I think, are medium for jazz because they're really light. You can almost mm. use them as a crash ride for rock. I'm thinking, yeah, this is a bit too tip-tap-tappy. The bell's not all that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm struggling. if I'm honest, I'm struggling to find the right sort of ride for me. A medium is not rock enough. But uh, yeah, I use about four crash lights. I have two crashes over the hi-hat side, splash in the middle, uh, and then a crash over above the ride, the ride down there, a china to the left of it. And if there is any more room, maybe another, maybe a, a second crash nice. between the china and the ride. And then, a, yeah, that's that's pretty much the setup in the hi-hats. Sounds fun. That's a, bit, a little bit more than what I use, but I would like to try that kind of setup as well. But I don't think my band you know, I always me. think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think for me and rock in general, I think two crashes on your hi hat side. Yeah, because because yeah, yeah, because you can double up. Yeah, and if you hit them both on the downbeat, jun jun. Because I I tie mine quite tight so they don't swing about. Because right. if you do doubles on swingy cymbals, there's a good chance when you hit it. 
it will swing down and you'll hit it when it's down. So all you're doing is essentially tapping it as if it's a ride. You yeah. don't mean to. It's just because they're too, too loose and you don't have enough options. But if you've got two next to each other, it, ju it just gives you a bit more of an option. And even if I've only got one, I'll tie I'll tie it tight so there's it just moves like that rather than swinging about. Okay. Just so I know if I've got to double it, I'm always going to get the edge of the crash so the sound isn't compromised. Yeah, that's a good theory. Uh, I'm not though. a... I'm not a crash, yeah. I'm not a crash junkie, and I, I don't get like having 13 of the things. But to, the optimum for me is two over by the hi hats, yeah. Either just two to the side of it, or if you if you've got the room, one either side of it, so they're right in front of you, yeah. And then if you're going around the toms, there's a crash. What would be on my left? It'd be your right because I'm yeah. left-handed, yeah. And near the ride, um, and then you've got a ride and a china, yeah, uh, as well. And if you know, so. Three crashes is the optimum for me. Cool. If I've got room for four or five, great. If great. not, but three is the the op is the minimum for me. Awesome. And you when what sticks are you using? The the endorsement deal use arrangement. Ah, I so so. I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Winston user as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I've got the I've got the long five Bs as the the extended oh, yeah, XL ones. Yeah, five B XL. XL. That's it. Yeah, so I like the XL because they're they're about an inch longer than traditional five Bs, and I've got the black ones. Nice. with the the signature on as well but uh yeah they're good they 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 last they, they do they really do i'm glad i'm glad that you because a lot of people like don't think they believe me when i tell them oh, i use these sticks they, they last ages i did like 16 shows on with the same pair once right yeah i just don't think people believe me but uh, yeah i think the more people actually try them especially rock drummers yeah they do notice the difference so uh they are, they are, they're really good. I mean, it's, um, yeah, well, thank you for that, Indoor. I know I've thanked you before, but thank you for that. Yeah, yeah that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit worried about them as a company because I know c coronavirus affects them. I mean, you probably got the email as well that they've one had guy, to get rid of a lot of people. Yeah, sorry, I haven't um, actually chased that up properly, but um, the one guy I was yeah. dealing with that you were probably dealing with is left. Klaus. Yeah, Klaus. Yeah. Klaus, yeah, Klaus, Klaus, yeah, Klaus. I don't, yeah, Klaus, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, because now I've got to go back, you know, whatever year it is, I need to get some Black Spiders signature ones rather than oh, yeah. just my name on them. So. But yeah, they're really good. I, I, I misordered. I ordered too many. I think I meant to order fifty and ordered five hundred. Okay. So I've got sticks everywhere. Honestly, yeah. I, I could do four world tours. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I've got a cupboard downstairs, absolutely rammed. I wouldn't bother sticks. ordering more then. I'd well. No, well, no, I know. Just toss them all out. Yeah. Do you, have you got the stick grips with you? You need a hairdryer to get them on. I don't have any grips on mine. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're too slippery. Maybe it's just the texture. Mate. They're too slippery. Yeah. So they're stick grips. Oh, aren't like tape. They, you literally, I'm like, how does this fit on? And I, I emailed them saying, you have to literally hairdryer it on. So you put hot air on it. It, it just molds itself to the stick. Oh, wow. I'm thinking, oh, I can't be doing that every show. No. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a load That's at a lot home of before I go out. Yeah before, yeah, before you go on tour, you, you're going to be like spending like a whole evening just... Head right in your tape on. Yeah, I mean they're good, good, yeah. but it's an effort. Yeah, you know, mm. mind you, it's it's easy, grip tapes. If you've got OCD, you're trying to get it perfectly on either side. They can be a bit of a faff. But, I think a lot, uh, lot of drummers are OCD. I, I definitely am yeah. to some degree. So, uh, oh well, I didn't know. I didn't know you used the grip tape. I've just never really yeah. tried them. Maybe it would benefit me. I don't drop a lot of sticks. Obviously, I do occasionally, but uh, yeah, it's just the way it feels in your hand. Because if yeah. you if they're slippy. Sticks, you just feel like you're not gripping them properly. And I, I didn't use them for years, yeah. but I reckon if you just gave it a go, even just as a practice, you'll, you'll be surprised, yeah. and you'll probably find yourself either go. I think you grip tape more than, uh, more than the actual grips. You can also get spray that you spray on. It's like an adhesive. Oh wow! Uh, I didn't really get on with that, so that's an option as well. 
like something grip juice or something like that. They're, they're all funny names, but There's yeah, so that's many. the thing. So it just feels like it's sticking to you. I, I guess like goalkeeper gloves for football is that the stickier they are, the more the more you feel it rather than just gloves that are just normal. Yeah. So it's, it's about the grippiness. So no, trying to give yourself spider fingers. That's fair enough, man. Cool. So um, uh, come back to the name of the podcast. I don't know if you know, it's called Drum for the Song. And yep. what I was going to ask, because you're so used to listening to all the biggest kind of rock hits ever on the radio is there anything you've noticed with the theme with regards to the drumming like do you notice for example are all the biggest hits do you notice that the songs generally don't have crazy drumming all over them or or is it or do you think it's a balance i think it's a balance i think it's got a lot more machine like in recent times where i think nearly everyone records to a click which is fine so everything sounds a lot more polished i think for whatever reason the 70s mistakes were almost encouraged like you can hear bonham um mitch mitchell Jimi hendrix keith you can hear miss hitting and hitting rims and stuff they left that in i mean there's zeppelin stuff where you can hear john bonham's pedals squeaking yeah 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 you can hear you can hear phil rudd's hi-hat pedal squeaking on the intro to uh hell in a bad place to be and thinking why would you leave that in Mm. why would you leave clearly malfunctioning equipment squeaks in it's one thing leaving a miss hit in um me personally, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I know people, some people are like, no, you've got to leave all that in. Take it or leave it. I'm not one of these people that thinks if you use a metronome and it's all polished, it, it, you lose some of the, the ambience and organicness. I think good music is good music. How you come about it is by the by. I mean, the way music yeah. sounds now is a million miles from how it sounded, even in the 80s with cardboard box drums. I mean, you listen to some ZZ Top stuff. Cardboard box drums. Sister Christian, love that song, Cardboard Box Drums. Mm-hmm. Now, Ozzy Osbourne in the 80s, Cardboard Box Drums. It, mm. You know, even then, a lot of sounds weren't that organic. And I listen to stuff now, and it's kind of either or. You listen to, yeah, this sounds great. This drum sound will sound great live. And you hear some stuff. As an example, I love the Imagine Dragons Radioactive. I've All seen right. them do it live. And I love that song. I know full well it will never sound like that live because there's vocals everywhere. The production, the, and it doesn't. It doesn't sound. It, you know, the melody's there, but there's some things. I think, I think some bands get too carried away with the production now. There's, we'll add this, we'll add that, we'll add this, we'll add that, we'll have layered vocals all over the place, and I think they think about it. This will sound great on an album, and then it's like, well, how the hell are we going to do this live? You got a singer who's double tracking himself. It's like, have you got lungs that can hold air yeah. four minutes nonstop? It's like, so. Yeah, I think as far as drums are concerned, overall the drum sounds got a lot better in the last 20 years. It's sharper, it's crisper, it drives it a lot more. Um, but I don't know if, I don't know about overall if if drums have become less or more predominant on on records. I don't think there's I don't think there's a a sort of era where you can go well drums were really important in the 80s, not so much the 90s, but now now they are in the millennium. I I think I think in every era, every decade, it's a case of wherever the song fits. I can't honestly say, well, yeah, I think things are different for drums now because they used to do this and they used to do that. I just think they change and move with the times like sort of every instrument. I just think production values have changed as well as songwriting values. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Ah, cool. I understand, definitely. Um, so just, just before we get to the end now, I've got a Patreon page. And if you don't mind, I've got a few of my Groove Master patrons. They're, they've got a few questions that they wanted me to ask you. Yeah, so, yeah, go for um, it. That'd be cool. So the first one is from Rudy Pauli in Germany. And he said, I'd like to know which modern bands have an influence on you 
and which drummer is underrated or does not get enough credit in your opinion? Uh, right. Influence on me. In Sorry, was it band or drummers that influenced me? Yeah, we, uh, well, you said which modern bands have an influence on you and then which oh, drummer is under, underrated? Bands that influence me now, see, modern ones, it's like a band mm. that's been going years that's still going. Are they technically a modern band or are we talking about bands? That's a good question. A few years? No, yeah. I just go with whatever, man. Yeah. Motley Crue then, they're still yeah. going. Tommy Lee was always my biggest influence, still is, musically. Not sure about his lifestyle, but musically. <laughs> Aerosmith as well, Joey Kramer. The most, for me personally, as a two-footed drummer, is the most influential one-footed drummer, which I know most people go to John Bonham, who weirdly wasn't a big influence on me, although I appreciate what he's done, and I've taken a lot more influence in sort of more recent years. Mm, same. Um, and drummers that have influenced me in recent times, Mike Portnoy. I was never a Dream Theater fan. It was only sort of in recent years when I watched him and I started watching videos and watched how he turned it into maths. Without it being prog poncy, he would literally break it down. I'm playing four up top, two down below, then two up top. And, and then and I could tr translate that. And I'm thinking, now I know what these ridiculous fills are because it's maths. All I've got to ah. do is remember how many he's doing. And they add up to like, for example, 16 in a bar. And now when I know the number, I was literally writing it down. I think now I can work out that ridiculous fill on there. Is it drag me under or pull me under on oh, that Dream Theater song? No, I know. Yeah, That's hmm. it. I know. Yeah, it's got that ridiculous feel. And I know what it is because of the maths formula. Ah. It's four, it's two, it's... And then I'm like, ah, there it is. So, yeah, Mike Portnoy, uh, underrated. I think Pat Torpy and Mr. Big, um, I mean, he died recently. I always thought he was just a pretty boy. He was only in the band because he was good looking because they had Billy Sheehan and Paul Gill. But my God, did I get that wrong? That boy <laughs> was phenomenal. The mm. stuff he could do up top, down below, one foot, two footed. Um, yeah really seriously underrated drummer and and i don't know if he is underrated because i think he is rated i think jay weinberger slipknot it, it's just for a power metal band because you could say that power metal is pretty much the same that boy i mean he's early 30s if and the things he can do the pace and the speed and the the, the definition is frightening i mean i know his dad's in bruce, uh, bruce springsteen's e street band so he's got good genetics but yeah I mean, he makes it look, he makes 250 to 300 beats a minute look effortless. And you often find that when people make things look easy, people presume it's easy. So they don't rate you for it. It's like, oh, he's just doing what he can do easily. But what he can do, he probably is rated, but he's probably underrated by me because, you know, I, I, I probably take for granted what he can do. It's just ridiculous. No, I know what you mean, especially in that world. And that that's the kind of style that I've never really tried to, kind of teach myself like the really fast double kick stuff and yeah and i guess i probably underappreciate a lot of it because i've never really given it a go i know i can't do it right now but like you said yeah. it was quite inspiring that you just gradually build yourself up and yeah try it a little bit faster Watch try it a little bit not. faster yeah so um that's no, it's good to know that, that you spend the hours doing that and um i've been meaning to do that myself so i'll have to get onto it so then yeah the next question yeah. thanks for answering that one um, from Gareth Richards in Wales, who were the first bands that got you into heavy metal? You might have kind of answered that already. And have you ever been starstruck? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper were the, the artists that my brother was always playing and Motley Crue. So they're the ones that sort of led me into to rock and heavy metal. You're talking the early to mid 80s. And I can honestly say I've never been starstruck. 
the closest I've got to starstruck is, believe it or not, I can be quite shy. I can talk to anyone professionally, not a problem. I've interviewed Aerosmith. I've interviewed members of Motley Crue, not a problem. The Stones, mm. ACDC, John Bon Jovi, not a problem. I remember backstage at Download a few years ago. It was the, the year that Motley Crue last played, and I, I wasn't actually interviewing anyone. And one of the producers, Tommy Lee, standing over there, he's on his own. Why are you just going to say hello? Couldn't do it. You couldn't like, do it. <laughs> I just felt you couldn't do it. He's, and Tommy Lee, looked, he was there. He looked happy. He looked inviting. He looked like he wanted to talk to someone. And I'm like, go on, just go and have one. We can take a picture. I'm like, no, I can't do it. It just feels wrong. I just, I, I felt like a mark. I was just really self-conscious. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to be that another one of those, you know, I wouldn't be playing drums if it wasn't for you. I've named my son after you. I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> if I met him in an interview, it could come up organically. And it was like, I wasn't so much starstruck. I just got nervous and shy and just couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. It was like, no, no. And I remember saying, there'll be other opportunities. And six years later, I'm still waiting for that ah, <laughs> opportunity. Ah, hopefully you'll <laughs> but get it, they're man. back together. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. And um, yeah, I guess it's because you probably have like a personal fandom of that person more than some of the other guys, maybe, like yeah. you said. So, um, yeah, I know what you mean. I think I, I, I can relate to that in that obviously I've been surrounded in this kind of world since I was a young kid. Like I met Slash when I was a teenager. Well, no, I don't even know if I was a teenager. I might have been younger than that. And, you know, I've met a lot yeah. of people, but I, I used to work in a guitar shop. And um, I remember the first time James Dean Bradfield from the Manic Street Preachers walked in. Obviously, they're a big band. You know, they're not Guns N' Roses big, but they're a big band. But it's just because I was such a big fan of the band when I was younger. And he yeah. walked in. I, I got, I was like, oh, my God. Jesus. I, like, I, I, I kind of felt like I couldn't talk to him or I, I wouldn't, I didn't want to approach him. And part of the job is, you know, approaching the customers, asking if they need help. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. But yeah, yeah. It's, it may be similar to that. Um, for, for, from me but uh yeah i know what you mean man that's cool and um yeah yeah so this is how i kind of end everything really if you could start your own band with yourself on drums but you could get anyone dead or alive from any band ever in history to play the other instruments who would you choose so i'm on drums you're on you've got to be on drums yeah <laughs> freddie mercury oh yeah be freddie mercury. he comes up a lot i mean i yeah what can you say that's not already been said? I know yeah. you can make a case for so many other people. It's just, it's Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate him when I was a kid. He's one of those, I wish he was still around. Yeah. I, I have a feeling like Paul Rogers, he still have the voice as well, I think. I think he would be one of those. Um, Guitar-wise, um, I think I'd probably go with Eddie Van Halen. Thing. Oh, wow. just because not only was he so good he, he had an aura and i'm not just saying it's because he recently died he had such an aura as well mm. and it was a, what i'd call a harmless aura he 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 was one of those that made it look easy to him it probably was easy and because of that he looked like he was having fun and enjoying it and he didn't look up himself he just looked like this is what i do good luck sort of yeah. thing you want to do it good luck but as he got older and he probably was on he was encouraging he would encourage people to why not be like me you can do it bass I think I go with Billy Sheehan. I cool. just love the way he plays the guitar. It's bass like a guitar almost. It's almost like rhythm guitar. He plays lead on it in in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you if you had to have a keyboard player, I'd probably go with John Lord just for that those classic John Lordian lines. Yeah, I know. So what you yeah, mean. Freddie Mercury, Eddie Van Halen, John Lord, and me. That's amazing, man. Did you going back to Eddie Van Halen? Did you ever get to interview him, or did you meet him at all? 
No, mm. I I've not never met or interviewed any members of Van Halen past or present. Is that right? No. No, I haven't. No, I think Michael Anthony. No, never. No, I haven't. No. Never. Not even close. They were they were an enigma where the UK were concerned. They just never came here. So there was never any reason to interview them. They never came up. I, I didn't miss them because there was yeah. never an opportunity to interview them. Well, I didn't realize that really. And going back to when I was a kid, they they played a gig in Cardiff Arms Park in in Cardiff, obviously, supporting Bon Jovi yeah. once in like the nineties, and I was there, and I was I was really young, but so I'm lucky really to have at least experienced it. I can't really remember yeah. there, but at least I can say I was I was there because I don't think they ever. That might yeah. have been the last time they came. I don't know. Well, I had tickets to see them when they did the tour with Gary. Cancelled and never rescheduled. So I had tickets for them in 1998, but never made it because they cancelled. Like me. That's as close. Oh no, I saw them as an eight-year-old at Donington in '84. Oh wow! Oh, I was so young, I don't remember it. My mum took me. And <laughs> I didn't know it then, but that was and still is David Lee Roth's last ever appearance with uh, Van Halen in Europe. Wow! Oh, there you go. Special guest to ACDC, and it was also Motley Crue's first appearance, but we got there too late for them. But yeah, <sighs> I don't remember anything about them, but I was there. You were there, yeah. Similar to me, really. I can, yeah. I can remember the occasion. I can't remember the music or anything about it. But yeah, yeah. awesome, man. Well, thanks, Wyatt, for um, taking the time on this lovely afternoon uh, yeah. to speak to me. And um, if anyone wants to kind of follow you online, where can they? Where are the best places? Where are you most active? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Twitterette, so at Wyatt VW uh, on Twitter, and then Wyatt Wendell's on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, look, if you can spell my name right, you can find me. It's yeah, a unique yeah, exactly. name. I can't hide. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah but YVW is the most common one yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I follow you on there. You're quite, you're quite uh, vocal, let's say, I would say. Yeah, so, I can. You know, I've got opinions and a sense of humour, but I rub yeah. people up the wrong way from time yeah. to time. More often than not. <laughs> not as much as I used to, but I still manage to do it even when I'm not trying to. Yeah, man. No, that's great. I've always enjoyed um, reading your tweets and stuff. So, um, yeah, great. So, everyone... Excellent. Follow Wyatt, check out Black Spider's new single that w- that will be out by the time this goes out. So uh, yep. fly, fly in the Soup, is that right? Fly in the Soup, yeah. It's, it is literally about fly in the soup and, and it's a <laughs> metaphor about people who are irritating. I'm going to be the fly in your soup. I'm going to right. irritate you. Yeah. I'm going to be the hole in your shoe. I'm going to be the wolf at your door and that kind of thing. It's about someone who's just not going to let go. He's just going to keep bothering you. But okay. it's not about a stalker, but yeah. And yeah, the lyric video is good. Lots of flies. You've even got yeah. flies working out in a kind of gym environment. It's a bit surreal, but it's good <laughs> fun. Awesome, man. Well, okay. I'll look forward to watching that in a few days. And uh, thanks again. And uh, we'll speak Brilliant. to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah, no no problem. You at will. All. Yeah, we'll uh, Always a pleasure. We'll keep in touch. Cheers, Wyatt. Cool. Cheers, Dane. Bye-bye now. Run for the show. Podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one, guys. It was a real pleasure to have Wyatt on the show. And it was nice to get a different perspective from someone who's an actual presenter and does it for a living. Um, yeah, he had some good tips for me. And uh, that was really cool. And I can't wait to see what he does with Black Spiders. So like I mentioned in the introduction, this is going to be my last episode of the year. I'm going to take a little bit of a very short break and kind of plan some episodes for next year. So if you've only just discovered this podcast, please go back and subscribe whatever you're listening and check out some of the other episodes, preferably check them all out because they're all really good in their own ways. 
Um, feel free to leave me a review on Apple if you're listening on Apple. But just make sure you're subscribing to me on your podcast app or on YouTube or preferably both. Leave a comment where you can or a review. It really helps with the search listings. So uh, that's what I want to do is allow the podcast to, well, just be seen by more people and uh, discovered by new people, really. Uh, There's a lot of competition out there, especially this year, because a lot of people, including myself, decided to start one during the pandemic. So I know I'm not alone and there's loads of other podcasts out there. But thank you to all the people that have stuck with me since the beginning or since you discovered. Um, It's really nice getting comments every other week from people that have uh, checked out the latest episode. And all the feedback is really helpful. And uh, it just makes it more worthwhile. So, cheers. I'd like to give an extra special thank you to anyone that is supporting me on Patreon. This really helped me uh, kind of fund the equipment for the podcast, actually. So, thanks to you guys. It's really nice to chat to you on the, the messaging service and when we do our Zoom Q&As. Um, actually, we did the last one on Skype. So, whatever one I'm using at the time. It's been really cool to actually get to virtually meet uh, many of you. So thank you and especially my top tier groove master patrons i'd like to especially thank you guys for helping me out even more so a big 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 biggest thank you ever to dean s monahan rudy Pauly, dan hurst gareth richards and steve hancock thanks so much guys hopefully you'll stick around for next year i'm not going to take any payments for december but if anyone does want to sign up to my Patreon page, it's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. You can get some extra bonus episodes and depending on which tier you choose, you can get tickets to a Phil Campbell and the Bastard Son show. We do the Skype Q&A sessions that I've mentioned before. You get early access to the podcast and stuff like that. So any help is appreciated and uh, it's really nice to, to actually meet some of you. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask you to please follow me on social media. If you're on Facebook, my page is Dane Campbell Drummer. And I've also got a Facebook group called Drum for the Song Official Facebook Group. Really easy to find if you just search for it. If you're on Twitter and Instagram, my personal page is Dane underscore drums. And the podcast page is nice and simple, Drum for the Song. So please ensure you're following me and you can find out about when the podcast is going to restart. And uh, it's also really cool and we have interactive things happening on most of the pages as well. I really hope that whoever you are, wherever you are, you have a really great December and a great Christmas period, hopefully with your families, providing our governments will allow us to spend time with each other. Let's really hope. I guess before then we can just try and stay as safe as possible, follow all the rules and uh, kick this virus's ass. So, uh, yeah, just uh, thanks for supporting me through this year and uh, hopefully I've brought some joy to your life and provided you with some entertainment. That's the idea. And uh, if you're a drummer, until next time, next year in this case, don't forget to drum for the song. (laughs) 